Today's episode of Two Man Advantage is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting, all about making work from your home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside here with another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. And I know where you are, Pierre, because I I watch TSN. I know you're in... Are you in your office? Where are you at in Toronto? Give it, set us, lay us out the geography now, since you are homebound like most of us. Yes, self isolation and the home office. I'm in the home office, and uh, the kids are being homeschooled and got them on a strict schedule. <laughs> My wife is working from home, which is a much bigger adjustment for her. She's a partner in a law firm here in Toronto, and. She's not a work-from-home type, so that's been the adjustment. You know, it's funny for guys like you and I. We've been working from home for years, uh, you know, unless I'm at TSN, of course. But sure. if I'm not at TSN, I'm I'm in my home office all the time. But it's it's uh, you know what we've we're trying to make the best of it. It's it's a lot of time spent together as a family, and um, and I've enjoyed that part of it. But it's uh, it's a time like no other in our lives, isn't it? Yeah. There's there's no question about it. Well, I'll circle back uh, to that. But uh, right off the hop, just as we did last week when uh, Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly joined us, we're fortunate today to have Don Fear, the Executive Director of the National Hockey League Players Association, joining us. So why don't we let's just jump right in uh, conversation with uh, I think I don't think it's overstating it. One of the most important men in the game at any time but certainly during this pandemic and during a season now being paused as a result of the pandemic so here's uh, Don Fear we are joined today on Two Man Advantage by Don Fear the executive director of the National Hockey League Players Association Don thanks for taking the time to join us um let's just start you know let's dive right in i think the the last report we had there were two NHL players who tested positive for the coronavirus both the members of the Ottawa Senators um is there an update on that number and maybe can you describe where uh, you're at in terms of players getting tested or wanting to get tested How, where where are we at with that uh, basically pretty simple I don't know of more than two but you should understand that my knowledge will in many cases lag something that happens because if somebody tests positive they go through the medical protocols they notify family they do all that and then eventually the reports come back to the league and then us. It doesn't take very long, but it's not uh, uh, instantaneous. In terms of players being tested, I think we're in pretty much the same boat everybody else is, which is that if you become symptomatic or there are other reasons discovered during a medical evaluation that you should be tested, you get tested. Um, Otherwise, uh, that is not the case. Um, and we can just hope that the self-quarantine and other measures that have been taken will be sufficient so that we'll have a relatively low and hopefully very low 
incidents of uh, positives if this thing progresses. But no one in our society, no group is going to be immune from it. That's clear. Don, you've seen a lot in your day between your your long uh, tenure at the head of the baseball union and, of course, your time now in hockey in the same role. Uh, there have been strikes, there have been lockouts, a lot of tense moments in your career. How could you even compare what you're living right now to, to all that? Well, you can't. Um, to do it is, is an exercise of comparing not apples to oranges, but sort of apples to tractors. It's, it's that much different. Um, we're living through something that nobody in the Western world has seen for at least 100 years with the Spanish flu. And the societies we live in are vastly different now. They're much more affluent. There's much more ease of communication, much more interpersonal contact. There's vastly less of an agricultural sector that people have. Plus, we have instantaneous communication. And so... As you can see, when something like this starts, it spreads, and it can spread worldwide. And all you can do is take the appropriate uh, measures, as directed and explained by the public health authorities, and try to contain and limit, and then get back to normal as uh, soon as that can be done. Uh, What perhaps is the most different about it is that throughout my career, When something has happened, somebody would always say, but there is something we can do about it. You can do, or the people on the other side can do, or you can do together, or the government can get involved and help with the negotiations or something like that. This isn't that. This is different. Yeah. Donna, you mentioned communication. I'm curious what it's been like for you to keep with players um, involved and engaged on, on the discussions you're having with the league and medical officials uh, to keep them up to date and, and maybe what you're hearing from players in terms of their ideas on how things could unfold or should unfold. Can you walk us through just how you are, how you're staying in, in contact with a group that what is about 720 strong or whatever that number is now? Yeah, when you count people that are hurt, it's it's a little larger than that. We're also in contact with some former players and and NHL players that were temporarily in the minor leagues, plus all of their agents and so forth. Um, It's pretty easy to describe. It's what I think all of your listeners would expect. Everybody's got cell phones. Everybody has email. Everybody has text messages. So we start with that. We, along with every other institution in North America, are burning up the wires with conference calls. Uh, I, the former players on staff, and and a number of the other people are literally in constant contact with players. I'm on the phone anywhere from 8 to 10 to 12 hours a day between conference calls, calls with staff, uh, talking to Gary or people at the league office, and obviously with players. And you want to make sure people are up to date. You want to make sure you get questions answered to the extent that you can identify a problem or a question before it becomes acute. Um, You try and take care of it that way. In terms of the kinds of things players are asking, they're really at um, two places, I think. The first one is somebody has a question that relates to his individual situation. Uh, One of the ones we've most frequently had is, can I travel and what happens if the borders close and all the rest of that, particularly with the 
players who don't live in North America permanently. Uh, so you, you have a lot of those kinds of questions. The second one is the impossible one to answer, which is, is there a timetable pursuant to which decisions will be made regarding if we're going to resume the season, if so, when, and in what format, and then what would that mean for next season if we play late into the summer? And the problem is there are no answers to that. Um, we can play again when the public health authorities tell us that we can do that. And then at that point, what I suspect will happen, pretty sure will happen, is we will look at all of the possibilities of a schedule, uh, come hopefully to a quick agreement with the NHL as to what we can do and what we should do, and then go from there. But that's not likely to happen in the next one or two or three weeks. It'll be sometime after that. Right. And just to follow up on that, uh, on that vein, Don, I know that yesterday the league um, asked the, the 31 clubs for their billing availabilities through the month of August. Um, and again, who knows what that means, but you have to at least plan, right? And, um, and what, what's well, your yeah. view of, of potential August hockey as, as we've been speculating here for a bit? Well, the, the, the question is not July or August hockey in the abstract. Is that a good time of the year to play it? The question is if that's when the time becomes available, uh, does it make sense to play it? And I was not aware before the press reports that all the teams were being asked for their arena availability, but I would certainly have expected that in the ordinary course. That's one of the things that, that the league would always do so that you have the most current information available. What changed in the last um, couple of days, of course, was the decision to postpone the, the Tokyo Olympics. And when that happened, that uh, created from a fan perspective and a broadcaster perspective, some opportunities that might not have been there before. Whether we'll be able to exercise those opportunities remains to be seen. Don, you talk about, you know, in the past, how, you know, what the dynamics were like when you, you know, had a situation where you were trying to overcome some sort of stoppage of play, whether it was baseball or hockey. This is a completely different dynamic and I wonder what it's like for you or if you can describe what is your working relationship like with the NHL with Commissioner Gary Bettman with Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly who was on our podcast last week what what's that been like in trying to come up with as much as you can plan given the unknown but to work together to try and um, build some sort of framework for whatever may happen in a month or two months or whatever? I, I think that with one backdrop, the way I would put it, is practical and businesslike. Um, there is no posturing. There is no uh, attempt so far to try and take advantage of this or that or the other. It's just, all right, what can we do when? And the backdrop, of course, being that you want to maintain to the greatest extent you can, or put another way, you don't want to put in jeopardy, the health and safety of, of the players, the NHL employees, the arena staffs, the fans, um, and all the rest of that. But practical and businesslike is the way that I would put it. And, you know, at this point, I expect that uh, to continue. Um, we talk at one level or another to NHL people several times a day, every day. 
and Don, I think you know that level of cooperation is is really important right now. I think given everything that's happening, and this is just my own editorial opinion now, and you can you can set me straight. But I, I think at some point that relationship's going to be tested because if you know if even if there is hockey, but if there is not hockey this year, everyone involved in the industries uh, is going to take a hit, right? I mean, owners, players, uh, everyone, the league. Uh, Hockey-related revenue will, will take a dent, and and then comes some, you know, some some very difficult conversations between you and Gary and the two sides, uh, you know, about the salary cap and and escrow and 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 projecting revenues and all those things. Keeping in mind, again, this is me editorializing. Keeping in mind that when hockey does resume, you guys have to try and 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 predict the kind of disposable income that a lot of people that are hurting already are going to have across North America. How do you put all that into a, into context? And again, specifically, the players that you serve as far as it comes to the cap and escrow. Well, what you do, and I know this is not going to be a terribly satisfactory answer, but you make the best judgment you can based on what the available information is. Um, and then you have to be in a position to frequently reevaluate that if other information arises which suggests that you may have misjudged the situation or even if you judged it correctly, a low probability event happened or something like that. Um, but this is precisely the kind of question which is going to be facing every kind of mass group entertainment, whether it's sporting events or movies or concerts or Broadway plays or what have you, and, or restaurants or bars or crowded shopping malls or any of the rest of that. We're not going to be unique in, in, in this regard. And so you got to make the best judgments you can. I, I will say one thing, though, based upon, as you put it, my long experience doing this through some trials and tribulations, although of a different order of magnitude in the past, and that is that when we can resume, I think that it will be one of those things which could be of, of real value to people generally because it signals a return or the beginning of a return to normalcy. Now, in, in any NHL city, uh, in New York where I am or Toronto or, or wherever it is, you know, the the fans, the people that follow the team may disagree with one another about everything under the sun. But when it comes to the team, what they disagree with are the tactics of the team, not that we root for the team. And it can bring people together. Maybe we need that. And if so, maybe people in our business can help a little bit. You uh, talk about some of the questions that players have, have had for you, many of which don't have answers right now. Some do. But my sense is that players have also offered their own thoughts and suggestions perhaps on, perhaps on how things might look if hockey is able to resume whether to play regular season games, what a playoff grid might look like. Do you have a sense? Is there any way to tell right now whether there's any kind of consensus on what the players favor in terms of how a playoff grid might look like? Uh, expanded, play-in, um, anything like that? Is there are there things that you can that you've been able to gather from what players are suggesting or or telling you about what it might look like if hockey comes back? 
The answer is yes, but it's not very specific. There's a lot of speculation players are engaging in. What would it look like if we were able to resume on this date or 10 days later or 21 days after that? What would it look like if we had to eliminate the rest of the regular season so that you didn't have the normal number of games played to determine who the playoff teams are? How do you treat the teams that were not as of the date we stopped playing in the top 16? They wouldn't have qualified for the playoffs, but yet they were still had a chance to do it. And as we all know, things change a lot in the last few games of the year in many seasons. And so you would try and figure out a way to adapt to that. I guess the best answer I can give you is that um, most players would would want to complete it, would want to have a Stanley Cup um, awarded, provided that it can be a tournament which is uh, fair under all the circumstances um, and that everybody can be proud of participating in. Right, and Don, to, um, to follow up on that, I, I assume, and I know it's dangerous to assume, but that just like Bill Daly came on our podcast last week and said having a full season next year is, is a very important to the league, I can't imagine it wouldn't be to, to your side as well. I mean, especially given that, just to be blunt, I mean, the players get paid during the regular season and not the playoffs. So a full season next year would be equally important. Both sides are on the same page with that. Well, yes and no. Yes, in the sense that obviously you want a complete return to normalcy if you can get it next year. It doesn't mean that, that you couldn't alter the dates of next year's mm-hmm. season a little bit in order to accommodate playing late this year uh, right. going forward. But remember, um, while players get paychecks over the course of the regular season, their salaries include revenue that's earned during the postseason. Right, and, and so are, the, two, the two are not divorced. Yeah, right. And and just to clarify on the cap, I think it's been well established, and um, I think you've talked about this in other interviews, and so have Gary, Gary Bettman and Bill Daly. But I think we're already at the point where whatever the cap number is going to be next year is going to have to be something that the PA and the league basically pull out of, just agree on, as opposed to using the the authenticated formula at this point. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I thought you were about to say pull out of thin air, and I was going to say I no, hope no. don't do that. But <laughs> Not thin air, but, put it but a number that both sides, yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I think it's likely to be a negotiated number, and if there are any special rules we would have to apply because of the unfortunate circumstances this year, we try and tackle those, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just before we let you go, Don, one of the things I know Pierre – mentioned in a piece today and I know that has come up uh, in discussions and I'm sure it's come up on on your end as well even things like you know the standard player contract ends at June 30th free agency begins July 1st uh, that you know that those are sort of benchmarks on the NHL calendar but if we're talking about playing hockey in July and August obviously those kinds of um issues are going to have to be dealt with are you in a position where you can start to talk about those now or does that all have to wait until you get a better sense of the of the framework or are those things that you can say hey let's let's make this accommodation because we know where it's likely we'll play beyond when the normal contracts end when we get to that point um I think it's fair to say that if you're going to play the season or the postseason and extend past June 30th, 
there are a whole series of accommodations you have to look at, starting with, you know, when do you do the draft? When would you do the normal June buyouts? When would free agency and salary arbitration happen and all, and all the rest of that? Um, my assumption has and been and, and continues to be that those things will sort of tend to define themselves and, and people will have to adjust to them. Um, that's a problem, quite frankly, I'd like to have because that would mean that we're being able to mm-hmm. resume before next year. And to, to finish things off, Don, and thanks again for your time. And this is probably the dumb question of the day, but sometimes I, I like to have dumb it's questions. Early. You'll, it, it's early. Yeah. You'll have another chance. <laughs> but uh, I, I assume this is this has, you know, because you have no choice, this has frozen the, the CBA extension talks for now. And those have been shelved, right? I mean, I know they had commenced again, but um, it's not really I, I, I don't the know time, if frozen is the right word, but... There, I'll put it differently. There are more immediate things on the agenda. Right, right. I'll be, but it'll be interesting coming out of this. How, how all that? I mean, especially if uh, you know the two sides continue to work together to get through this crisis. Uh, you know how that impacts the, you know, potential new CBA. You know, it's it, it's, it's funny how you. Can I, I hope things. it all impacts it positively. Uh, you know, we'll have to see the. Um, the old joke about labor relations is, is that you're in a marriage, but you can't get a divorce. And sometimes what that means is that um, you you can feel free a little bit to fight harder because you know the other party's still going to be there when you're done. On the other hand, when you go through trying and difficult times, maybe it can create bonds that weren't there before. We'll see. All right. Well put. Good point. Well, listen, Don, uh, stay safe and stay healthy. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, thanks very much, Don. Appreciate it. You got it. Bye bye. All right, buddy. I want to. I want to get your impressions of our conversation with uh, Don Fear. We're going to take a quick break before we do that. But when we come back, uh, lots to unpack as we try and figure out the many, many questions, many of which don't have answers at this point. So hang on a second. We'll be right back. If you were to guess on average how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week, maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments, and you can cancel anytime. So, if you're struggling with ED, Go to GetRoman.com slash Advantage for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash Advantage for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. It, uh, it's interesting because now we've had two weeks in a row, Pierre, where we've had you know, some of the key decision makers uh, trying to sort through um, what the NHL and the hockey landscape is going to look like as we 
work our way through the coronavirus pandemic. Um, anything jump out at you from what Don Fear had to say in terms of anything that surprised you or or maybe gave you, you know, reason for optimism moving forward? Well, I mean, I don't know about reason of optimism. I mean, I think that's in the hands of people uh, that we really, really need and depend on right now. The real heroes in all this in terms of the the people at the front of the line in the hospitals and certainly the health experts trying to find a cure, trying to find a vaccine, trying to find drugs that uh, will help manage this whole thing. Those are the those are the people that can provide optimism. But in our little world of hockey, which uh, which. uh, obviously has been incredibly impacted just like almost any other business right now you know it's just wait and see you know i've written a lot over the last two weeks all these updates about and it's just it changes day by day almost but i will say it feels now like the two sides know they just have to wait this out a bit more here you know they they, they're doing planning they're looking at different scheduling and playoff models and they're talking constantly i think don fear and gary bettman have talked every single day almost since the season went on pause. But we're at the point now I feel like where it's just, okay, we understand all the different things we might do, but now we just need to know what the calendar might give us or not. You know, there is no guarantee of a season resumption. There may not be hockey till next season, but for now the two sides are planning like there will be. And as much as players continue to call into the PA and ask down fear for answers, same with GMs and owners this week on conference calls with the league. Uh, there just aren't a lot of answers right now. It really is wait and see. Yeah, it's it's interesting, though, because you and I, and I know you expressed a certain amount of skepticism a week ago when we were chatting mm-hmm. and after we talked to Bill. Um, and I I took an opposite view. I, I felt... I felt it was A, important, and I felt B, that it was possible that we would, in fact, see some sort of playoff grid and that we would see a Stanley Cup awarded at some point uh, before the start of the 2021 season. Um, do you feel any differently? And I, and, and we'll, I won't, you know, we know now that Tokyo Olympics have been postponed. We know that the uh, um, NHL executives have at, gone to the teams and asked them to explore dates into August. Mm-hmm. Um, are you feeling any more optimistic about that? or do, are you well, still... well, certainly, and I feel, you know, you just feel for all the amateur athletes, you know, the Olympics is such a yeah. big moment for them. And so I'm not trying to diminish that moment for them that they're going to have to wait now probably a year to compete in the Olympics. But that postponement, is is a bit of a is a bit of good news for the NHL just to be blunt, right? Because yeah, it is. You know, they've got a, a their major TV partner in NBC and NBC is going to be craving programming during that window and for the NHL it it, it it frankly removes which was a bit of a headache which is, you know, that we come back if we can before the Olympics or after the Olympics and now you don't have to worry about that. So, believe me when I say that that's something the league now is and Don said it uh, on our interview, right? That it obviously gives them some July August flexibility now with, with no Olympics. Um, you know, Don reiterated uh, you know something we've been saying here for a week, and Bill Daly touched on last week that that yes, the players obviously want a full season next year, but that the season could be delayed in order to try and finish a late nineteen twenty season, right? So both sides are, are are singing the same tune on that. That 
yes, 82 games next year, but if there's playoff hockey into September, you know, the regular season can wait and start in November. And that would mean, and I should have followed up on this with Dom, only on so much time with him, but that would require, you know, likely the cancellation of the All-Star game in South Florida and uh, and no bye weeks next year, which is something the players really cherish. But you need to recoup that 10-day break in order to, to truncate a full NHL season uh, starting in November. So, so that's all on the table. The two sides have clearly talked about all those scenarios. Um, and, and listen, they're, they're going to need to recoup revenue. I mean, just like every other business, as Don alluded to, I mean, anyone in the entertainment business is going to be hit hard here, has been already. And, you know, I made this point this week. Again, I'm not trying to be Captain Negative. I'm just trying to, you know, give my sense of what will be the landscape. And, and if there is a season resum- resumption, I don't know that we're guaranteed to have sellouts every night. Uh, I mean, people are hurting here. People are losing their jobs. I mean, spending money on on expensive tickets for pro sports won't necessarily be top of the line for a lot of families in North America. So, again, all this, I think, is important to keep in mind as you try to paint in your head a picture of what the NHL is going to look like on the other side of this terrible time. Yeah. No, I, I I think you raise an excellent point that you can't assume that. I, I do think that there is, um, yeah, th- and that will be balanced out by, and, and Don touched on this as, as well, that, that this, you know, people are going to need something to mm-hmm. hold on to and to look sure. forward to when we come out the other side of that. And whether that's in June or July or August and when it, whenever it is, and maybe it's beyond that, but they are going to need something to to, to hang their hat on, to embrace, to wrap their arms around, to share with other people. Um, so it, it, I think it's going to be fascinating just to see how that plays out. Um, if we do get to well, hockey to come back, just, you know, that will tell a, a big story about just how, how hard uh, the economies, certainly in North America where the NHL games are played, uh, has been hit and, and beyond that. So uh, I think that's an excellent point. Uh, you raised something with Don, and I uh, uh, we'll take another break here after you answer this question, but I'm curious, is it possible that this this experience and what is going on between two long-time uh, at, you know, groups that have been adversaries that have found it difficult to come to agreements uh, without stopping the game and we know the history of of work stoppages with the nhl um since gary bettman became the commissioner do you and you asked don this but i wonder if you feel that is this is this something that could change the 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 fundamental nature of that relationship moving forward given how closely they're going to have to work together how they're going to have to make compromises how they're going to have to make difficult decisions and important decisions about restarting the game and what the game will look like moving forward that does change the relationship moving forward vis-a-vis cba vis-a-vis international hockey all those things i mean you know me i'm an optimistic guy but is it is that asking too much is that too am i being too much of a pollyanna about that no, I, I think the potential is there. I'm not ready to say that it's going to happen for sure because, right. as I said in one of my questions to Don, I think that relationship is going to be tested here uh, soon enough when it comes to some pretty difficult financial decisions from both sides. But the potential is there, as Don said himself, that sometimes you create bonds through this kind of adversity. 
that didn't exist before. That was interesting the way he put that. And yeah, and, and you know, right off the hop, the, the one of the first things the NHL did on the call, um, I, I can't remember if it's the call of the Board of Governors on uh, on March 12th when the season was paused, or or if it was in the memo the next day on March 13th, but. Fairly early, right out of the gates, during this pause, the NHL instructed its teams to pay the players for the rest of the season, right? That right. regardless of whether there'd be hockey again or not, that they were to pay the players. You could say what you want, but again, that's the kind of of gesture that players will remember, um, you know, when, when it's time to have CBA talks. Now, having said that, you know, the way this is setting up in terms of the hit on revenues, the players are going to have to... <laughs> pay some of that money back in one form or another in escrow, right? I mean, let's... No, I mean, it's... Yeah, it's true. You know, they're... Again, for for those listening in that... And the NHL CBA at times can be convoluted, but the players are in a 50-50 partnership. And if the players' salaries go over 50%, which it has almost every year, right? Since the start of the yep. system, then, then they don't get 100% of their paychecks. They get a certain percentage of their paychecks to level off the 50-50 partnership. Well... What was supposed to be five billion in revenues, if it ends up being four billion, you do the math, right? Yep. Um, and again, that depends whether or not there's a season resumption that that'll have a big factor. But my point is, if the worst happens, let's say there's no hockey till next season, there is no season resumption, and clearly we need to be putting that on the table. As I said last week, these are tough calls. I mean, the league and the PA are going to have to sit down and how the league decides to soften the blow, but even though there will still be a blow for the players, you know, um, I think we'll go a long way towards answering your question, Scotty, which is how the league handles that with the players through this incredibly tough time could set the stage for what CBA extension, the resumption of CBA extension talks look like, I think. And and I can't answer what that's going to be like right now. Yeah. Uh, all right, I, I want to. We'll have a you know. We'll try and lighten things up a bit here um, when we come back in our final segment of Two Man Advantage. We'll find out uh, how the LeBron family hockey competitions are going. A little update on that, but uh, let's. Um, we'll we'll close it out uh, talking about some some different stuff. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Tournaments have been canceled, leagues are suspended, there hasn't been a live hockey game on TV in what feels like a year, even though it's been a couple of weeks. There's no better reminder of how important sports are to our lives than to take them away completely. But The Athletic is still home to 400 of the best sports writers out there. And in these very strange, very uncertain times, they are still hard at work doing excellent reporting and telling unique, engaging, informative stories like the one that I've been working on with Eric DeHatchuk and Craig Custance, looking at how coaches have responded to the upheaval in their profession and how top players are reevaluating their own relationships with coaches. How about some of the favorite games we've ever seen or ever covered? How about Pierre Lebrun's ongoing coverage of how the pandemic, coronavirus, is affecting the National Hockey League and hockey everywhere? It's during times like this, that The Athletic can help keep you connected to the teams, the athletes, and the sports you love. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash two-man advantage, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. 
Games aren't being played right now, but the stories that draw us all to sports, those don't go away. So go to theathletic.com slash two-man advantage for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. All right, now uh, I think after, during last week's podcast, uh, uh, you were off to a slow start in uh, in, in backyard hockey. Any updates on, on the standings, <laughs> how things are going there? What's the What's the deal there? It's been back and forth. It's been back and forth. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. Uh, um, you, you know, the, the kids uh, the kids have followed. Uh, we have a morning routine, and so the kids go in in our little house gym with uh, with my wife Stacy, and uh, they get their exercise in, and then it's homeschooling time, and so we got we've got a routine going here in the in the LeBron household, and it's. Uh, it's been uh, listen. We're trying to make the best of what's been uh, tough for everyone, and um, again, the time the time spent with the kids, and, and you know, I we have busy lives, and and I you know I travel a lot, especially usually in April, May, and June, just like you, Scotty. So this will be different this year in all likelihood, and uh, um, I enjoy that side of it. It's been nice, uh, you know, having that time spent. Do you? Uh... Are you guys board game players? Like it's funny, and you mentioned that, and in, in our family, my our son is home now. He was away at school, but now he's home, and um, I can't imagine that he'll be going back. Um, but uh, you know, we play a lot of three-handed euchre. We uh, we got we played some sorry. I can tell you, I've won very few games uh, in the, the past two weeks. Uh, that uh, and we often play. <laughs> that the stakes are pretty high. Where do we get takeout? Who does clean up? Who does dinner prep? Uh, and I can tell you, I've done a lot of. <laughs> I don't get to choose much in the way of takeout, and I do a lot of clean up and prep. So, uh, but, uh, are you guys board games, or do you? Do your kids oh like yeah, lots of board games. Monopoly's uh, Monopoly's yeah. a big one. Uh, yeah, we've got we've got a number, and of course, I don't want to explain it on the podcast, but you you've been witness, and you've. You know the game that my own family plays that oh, board game that I love I that game. you to at the cottage we have a we have a version of it at home yeah so uh it's basically the the french canadian version of aggravation if anyone's listening trying to figure out it with marbles and dice and a lot like trouble i guess right but yeah uh, exactly yeah, we, we play a lot of that as well it gets heated it gets heated strangely I, enough I hear my, my I hear kids don't like I'm, losing i don't know where they get that uh, <laughs> I don't know. I've played a few games of shuffleboard with you, my friend, and I know that feeling. Um, what are the thing that? Hey, I have you know, a death been... stare for a reason. You know, I'm trying to intimidate <laughs> yeah, no, you. I'm kidding. Um, you know, a lot of what we've been doing at the athletic to, you know, to to generate copy to, you know, to maybe give people something else to think about and to, you know, you know, sports is is, is escapism, right? It's a way to it's a way to get away from reality or your own life or to you know it's uh, it's 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 function in many ways in society um and so a lot of what we've been doing since uh, the nhl paused which seems now like about seven years ago um has been to to think about you know moments or games or players that have made impacts on us i i don't know have you done like have you have you watched any old games like i know and i don't know whether it's the same in canada but nbc sports network i you know my son and i have been we've been watching some of the classic playoff games of the last 10 years or so and even though you know the outcome 
you know, my son turned to me the other day. We were watching Game 7 of a Washington Rangers series, and I believe it must have been in 2014. Um, game 7, well, terrific, just a terrific game. And I was, like, I was engaged. And he, my son turned to me and said, you, you do know that the outcome doesn't change, right? Like, you know that it doesn't matter how many saves Braden Holtby makes, he doesn't make the, he makes one fewer save than he needs to. And I was like, yeah, you're right. But it, it, I do find myself, you know, you, you're transported back, you remember where you were. Um, you know, I wasn't at that game because I was covering some Western playoffs that year. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, So one thing I'm you, finding, Scott, you, yeah, both, both yeah. TSN and Sportsnet are showing all kinds of, of you know, classic programming. In fact, uh, I found myself the other day entranced by a game that I covered in Helsinki, Finland, the gold medal <laughs> game of the, the 2003 Men's World Championship where Anson Carter wins it in overtime for Canada, but there's a long, maybe the longest video replay in the history of pro sports. <laughs> and I was in the rink that day. I was covering that tournament for the Canadian Press uh, National News Agency, and, and it was Canada's first uh, world championship victory, a uh, gold medal, since I think 97. So it was pretty big deal. And, uh, of course, I actually would win again the year after in 04 under Mike Babcock. But... Um, I found myself watching it and pretty much not remembering anything other than Anson Carter's overtime goal. So I was actually, <laughs> even though I had actually covered the game, you know, it was 17, it was 17 years ago. Yeah. 17 years yeah. ago. Uh, I, I was almost watching it for the first time again. And, um, uh, but one thing I will tell you is that, and I don't know if it just shows my age, you know, I'll be 48 next month. I'm more interested in the classic games from the uh, from the 80s and 90s than I am anything that's happened in the last 20 years and, and and I think I guess what I'm getting at is I seem more interested in reliving the moments that I watched when I wasn't in the business yet uh, you know I you and I both been in this for 25 years plus and so I I actually enjoy more for example yesterday I found myself watching some highlights again of the 87 Canada Cup because it came up on Twitter and um, you know, I look forward to seeing those games again, hopefully at some point here. And, and, you know, because you weren't on deadline yet, you were, you were a fan and you were, and I just remember what I was like during that 87 Canada cup. For me, it's the greatest series ever played. And Wayne Gretzky says that all the time between yep. uh, the former Soviet union and, uh, in Canada. And, uh, you know, just, uh, I was watching a goal that Krutov, uh, scored from Makarov and Larionov, and you just can't believe how the KLM line didn't score every single shift they ever took. <laughs> I mean, it's just so, uh, just pure magic. And they almost did, those. right? I mean, they pretty much the... almost did, yeah. Yeah. And, I know uh, you know, at one point, there's a Canada power play during that tournament. Again, I'm watching the highlights on YouTube. Canada scores a power play goal in a, in a tournament game against the U.S. in that 87 Canada Cup. And the power play is Gretzky, Lemieux, Messier, Ray Bork, and Paul Coffey. <laughs> and then I'm like, how did that power play not score every time they were on the ice? <laughs> and so I, I, I love going back and showing my age, but uh, more than watching games from the last, certainly in the last 10 years, even though there's been tremendous hockey, it just all feels like a blur, you know, the, the stuff that I've actually covered. Yeah. See, I like the, I'm the other way. I like to, and it, I think now I'm thinking of it while you're I was listening to you chat. I think that Ranger Caps game was in 15, actually. Um, 
because I'm pretty sure. Anyway, well, I covered really a Caps matter. Rangers series. Yeah, you know, Corey Massasak and I met during that yeah. series and hung out. You know, uh, and here's here's why I'm pretty sure it was 2015 because I had gone out west and I covered, um, I covered Calgary Anaheim in the second round, and it got over in a hurry. Um, and then I came home, and so I remember, and I know this because my son and I were watching, we remember watching the game together, that game seven, and watching, you know, the Capitals, I think Ovi scored first in game seven, and then and the Sergei Rangers Sergey Fedorov had a big overtime goal, right? Is that serious? Yeah, uh, I think that's after that Sergey left, but right. anyway. But I, I like to, I think of those things, and I'm going to do this exercise, um, I think both with uh, Sarah Sivian and looking at the 06 Stanley Cup final between Carolina and Edmonton and then Joey Mack and uh, um, and Joe Smith we're going to take a look at the 2013 game 7 Eastern Conference final to sort of break it down and I so I watched that 2013 game 7 and I guess I like the game is so incredible Dwayne Rolson is unbelievable but you forget the players. Like, I, I've completely forgot Simone Gagne, you know, Vinny LeCavalier, both near the ends of their uh, terrific careers. And both would play very few playoff games after that Game 7. But both those guys, they might they were so good in that game. They didn't, you know, obviously didn't score because Tampa lost one nothing. But it, it, did, it is a reminder of, you know, the passage of time. But I, that, I had completely forgot that those guys were... Not just on the the Lightning team, but they were they might have been their two best forwards in that well, game. We, so when you watch the 06 Cup final again, please revisit the Smythe <laughs> debate. You knew I was going to say that, didn't you? <laughs> that's you know what, and that's what probably a travesty. Oh my God! I only wish that somewhere there's a videotape of your impassioned uh, declaration in the media. And, and by the way, you know I you know I I think Cam Ward's a, had a terrific career and he's a terrific guy i've always enjoyed interviewing him just was not the most valuable player in those playoffs okay. that's all well i'm glad to see that you got over chris it. pronger i know <laughs> all right my friend well time to wrap things up and let you get back to homeschooling or watching uh now you mentioned the 87 canada cup when are you gonna make time for the 96 uh, world cup of hockey oh i'd love to watch that's huge it's huge yeah it's huge yeah Good. that uh yep. was a fun tournament as well uh they should have never changed the name though should have just stayed canada cup but anyway discussion <laughs> for another day I know. All right. Listen, good pal. Always good to uh, catch up with you. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Um, And we'll do this again next week. It's always, you know, it's it's a time when you got to really work to stay connected. And I'm glad that uh, this helps me stay connected to to you and to the game. So uh, good work by you again. Right on, brother. Love you, man. You too.